Good morning, church family. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it with me to Philippians chapter 1 today. So go ahead and grab a Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, feel free to use one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you. If you're in the balcony, there may be a Bible under the pew, but please find your way there. If you don't own a Bible, as always, again, we, we like to say this every week, if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of those Bibles in the pew and begin to make your way to the book of Philippians. Again, we're in chapter 1 today. Some years ago, there was a world-class scholar and, and theologian known by many, probably many of you in this room, named Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> and in one of the great works about his life, as he was departing from his friends, he said something that I think has resonated with me deeply this morning. He said these words. He said, how lucky am I to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. As my tenure as pastor of First Baptist Church San Francisco concludes today, I just want to say I am in wholehearted agreement with Winnie the Pooh. People have asked me oftentimes this week, how are you doing? What are you feeling? And and while I have felt many things over these last months, and especially these last weeks as my time has been concluding here in the Bay Area, by far the most overwhelming emotion feeling that I have is that of gratitude. Unbelievable gratitude to God that he has allowed me to serve as your pastor and to serve alongside you over these last nine plus years. As I considered what scripture that we should study today, I, I was thinking last week was really my last charge to you as a church. It was my last encouragement as we looked at those four things in Hebrews 13 where I said, it is important in this next season that you keep on loving one another. It's important that you keep on striving for holiness. It is important that you keep on following godly leaders. And it is important this morning that you keep believing and proclaiming the gospel. That was my last real charge to you as a church. And so today, as I thought, what do I say to our congregation? This passage jumped out to me because, again, the book of Philippians is a letter written from a pastor that has departed from that congregation. A pastor, a church that he loves. And yet, as you read the book of Philippians, two of the main themes that are literally just overflowing out of the text are that of gratitude and joy. It's an incredible picture that we get to see in this text. If I had the time, I would read through the whole book of Philippians with you because it contains so much of what I want to say. So I want to encourage you, go read the book of Philippians this week. There's so much that I would love to say, and Paul so clearly puts it in that book. But instead, this morning, I want us to focus just on the very first section of Philippians chapter 1. So if you would, let's read it together, starting in verse 1. This is the Word of God. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making joy, my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, 
with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's the word of God this morning. As we look at that passage, really what we have is a pastor named Paul who is perfectly expressing his gratitude and joy that God has given him when he thinks about these men and women that make up the church in Philippi. You see this overwhelming sense of of just unbelievable thankfulness. You see it in verse 3 where he says he thanks God for them always. Then after that, what does he say? That, That he literally, in every remembrance, in every prayer for them, he is filled with joy. Now that's an unbelievable statement if you think about it. How many individuals and groups in your life, when you ever you think of them, every single time, the automatic response is joy, is gratitude. I'll tell you this, I have many friends who are pastoring, and, and not every pastor-congregation relationship looks like what you see in this text. There's a lot of pain, there's a lot of animosity, there's, there's power plays and all these different things. And so what you see in this text is a unique blessing. It's an incredible work of God. And so the question becomes, what is it about Paul's relationship with the church in Philippi that brings so much joy, that brings so much gratitude to God for what he's done. Well, there's two layers, and we see this in verses 5, 6, and 7. And so let's begin by looking at verse 5, where it says this. He explains his reason for all of his joy. He says, verse 5, It is because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The first thing that Paul says about his joy and gratitude is this, I give thanks to God for your partnership. Now, I love that Paul uses that word partnership because what a partnership implies is that it's, it's numerous different people coming together for a very important cause or a very important purpose. It's a partnership. Sadly, many, many people don't look at ministry as a partnership. Uh, there's uh, this false view of the church that the role of the pastor and the ministers and the staff team, they do all the ministry of the church, and we pay the pastors and receive the ministry, right? There's many people that operate out of that, with the result that there's not that much ministry done. This isn't a new problem in the church. This has actually been in existence a long time. 150 years ago, there was another pastor named C.H. Spurgeon who was preaching on this text we're looking at, and he highlights this issue of only a few people doing the work of much. He says these words, In most churches, there are a few people to a large extent do everything and give everything. Then there's another portion who assist occasionally. And after these, you find a large number who are practically the baggage of the church. The lumber which has to be carried by the efficient members. A church is in poor condition when it is largely this way, but it is in fine health when all are hardy in the service of the Lord, as you see in Philippi. I don't know about you, I don't think anybody in this room wants to be considered baggage or luggage that's carried by others, right? He says a healthy church, in a healthy, vibrant church, every single person is going to see themselves as a minister. They're going to be hardy in their service to the Lord, as C.H. Spurgeon said in that text. You see this kind of church oftentimes in the Bible when it's described in different metaphors. For instance, in Corinthians, uh, the the church, the body of Christ, is, is given the metaphor of a physical body, where every single part has to do its 
function in order for the body to do what it's designed to do. You have in the body of Christ hands, you have feet, you have ears, you have eyes. And he says, just like the physical body has to work together, that's how it works out in the body of Christ, with each one ministering to the full. When Paul looks at his history with the church at Philippi and thinks about them and prays for them, he is encouraged because he doesn't see them as baggage. He doesn't see them as lumber that he had to carry. What does he say? You are partners in the gospel. Now, there's a few ways that that worked out practically with Paul and the church. One of those being that this church in Philippi loved and encouraged and supported their pastor. There's a reason this relationship of love existed between them. You get a picture of this in verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. If you were to read the book of Acts, it tells the story of Philippi. If you were to read the rest of this letter, what you'd find is that both Paul and this church went through many highs together and they went through many lows. And yet what was consistent, what remained the same, was this church's love and support of their pastor. They loved him. They showed this in tangible ways. They sacrificed so that they could encourage him when he needed it the most. They took care of his financial needs so that he could be more concerned with the work of ministry. They came under his leadership and obeyed his teachings that he bought because he, his teaching was in alignment with Christ. They loved and supported their pastor. Well, as I stand here today, after nine plus years of being your pastor, I just want to say I am so unbelievably thankful that just like the church at Philippi, you have been partners in the gospel in the way that you have loved me and my family. I'm so thankful even in this text. What does he say? That you have shown me love from the first day until now. And church, I just want you to know that's exactly how I feel. When I came here, I was 26 years old as your senior pastor. What were you thinking, right? <laughs> and yet, even at the beginning of my ministry, from the very beginning, you never made me feel like I had to prove myself. You didn't make me feel like I was inadequate or I was too inexperienced. Instead, from the very beginning, you loved and supported my leadership as pastor of your church. And this love has continued. Every step of the way, you have loved Rachel, you've loved Allie and May and Brady. You've taken care of us financially in a very expensive city. You've supported us, you've encouraged us, you've come under my leadership. Where I've said, let's go, this church has gone. I'm so grateful for the love that you've shown me. You think about it, and I hope that you will see this. In the same way that you have raised up and sent people from this church throughout your history, you have raised up me as a pastor. I was a very baby pastor with very little experience when I came to this church. And you, church, through your love, have raised me and supported me, and you formed me and my family in the gospel ministry. And I'm so unbelievably thankful that God has allowed us to be a partner in that way. As you continue reading the text, you find another way that the church at Philippi partnered with Paul in this gospel ministry was through financial generosity toward kingdom work and ministry. The church at Philippi was known for their generosity. In Philippians 4, it says this, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. This church led the way in sacrificial giving. 
They led the way in generous giving. In fact, their generosity blew Paul so, blew him away so much that he bragged to other churches. When his letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8, here's what he says. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Who's he talking about? The church of Philippi. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. The church of Philippi, even though they had little, even though they were going through affliction, it says they sacrificially and generously gave so that many people could know Jesus Christ. So that many other Christians could have their needs met and they could grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, as I think about the many things that I am thankful for about you as a church family, I just want, to know, I want you to know this. I am grateful to God for the way that you have exhibited financial generosity and sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God. It has been one of the greatest encouragements to me. Why? Because what you do with your money is such a picture of your heart. Every single time when God talks about giving, it's not about our money, it's about our hearts. He wants all of us. And you, church, have exhibited this. I will never forget when we were entering into the, the next initiative. Many of you were here for that period in the life of our church. As I was looking at the cost of what that project was going to be to bring this building up to code and to add accessibility and to do new spaces so that we could be ready for the future, as we were looking at the cost, I'm telling you, there are many days where I was like, there is no way as a church family of our size that we can accomplish this. I don't think we can do it. And yet God continued to lead. He continued to push us. No, this is what we're called to do. And so what did we do, church? We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And you know the rest of the story. God exceedingly, abundantly met the needs of that project. We had almost 98% of our church that committed to giving generously and sacrificially to the next project, to the glory of God. And I believe this building is going to be used for generations and generations to come. It was an amazing God-only moment. I'll also never forget when we had two of our mission partners that were desiring to go onto the mission field globally. And we, they knew that, that we were going to be sending them out, and they knew we were going to be praying for them. But as we brought them up, because of your financial generosity, we looked at them in the eye and we said, hey, as you go, we've paid off thousands of your dollars of debt. So that as you go on the mission field, you can go free of those things. You don't have to worry about those things. I've seen you generously give to meet physical needs in this city and among the nations. You as a church have exhibited financial generosity, and that is a picture of this partnership that we get to play together for the sake of the kingdom of God. I give thanks for the way that you've been a partner in your generosity. There's one last thing as you look at the text, and I think it's the most important. The last and most important way the church of Philippi partnered together with Paul was by doing whatever was necessary to ensure that the gospel was continually declared. The good news of Jesus Christ. Again, in verse 7, what does it say? That you were there in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Like San Francisco, the city of Philippi was a very diverse city with all sorts of different false philosophies and religions that were ruling the day, right? It was much like our day. For them, the word of God looked foolish. Christians, those who gave their lives to Jesus, looked like fools, and yet it was in the midst of that harsh, hostile environment toward Christianity that the church at Philippi stayed true to the Word of God. They boldly 
defended the Word of God. They boldly declared that Jesus' death and resurrection was the way, the truth, the life, the way to the Father. They never stepped aside. They didn't turn to false teachings, but instead they stayed true to their gospel witness. And they partnered together to make sure that that gospel was known, not only in Philippi, but around the world. I really believe this, that it is this aspect of Christian relationships that make our relationships different and deeper than every other human relationship. It is the fact that we get to join together. There is a bonding that happens when you join together to join in what God is doing among the nations. There's a bond that's happened, and that is what has happened, church, between me and you. There has been a partnership to make sure that the gospel is taught but also proclaimed both here in the city and around the world. I'm so grateful the way you partner with me. God has called me to have a role in this. I, as your pastor, have been called to preach and teach the Word of God, to provide oversight over your souls, but you have partnered with me. You've partnered with me in the way that you welcome guests here on Sunday mornings. You've partnered with me in the way that behind the scenes our deacons do all sorts of things to meet the needs of this body. You've partnered with me when you said, you know what, I'm going to sign up to, to be a buddy to that child that has a, has a disability, is impacted by a disability. You've joined with me in the way that you've served through ESL individuals that don't know English. You've partnered with me in the way that you've fed the poor and led Bible studies. You've partnered with me in opening your home to community groups where the Bible is taught, where people are prayed for. You've partnered with me in the way that you've shared the gospel in your schools and in your workplace. You've partnered with me as you've gone on global mission trips around the world sharing the good news of what Jesus has done. You've partnered with me. In this room, I'm so grateful that we have many of our staff team that has been with me through the many years. I'm so grateful that God has allowed me to serve with such incredible men and women of God. I want you to know, church, that you are blessed to have the leaders that you have in this church. We have people that love and serve and sacrificially behind the scenes that you would never know, but it's a partnership. We've seen these baptism waters stirred over and over and over again as people have declared their testimonies of how God has changed their life. I could name a hundred other things, but you want to know what you call all of that? Partnership for the gospel. Church, we are so blessed that see God's constant hand at work in this church. And my prayer for us as a church is that would continue. This partnership does not quit with my stepping aside and a new pastor coming in. This partnership continues. As I said last week, the mission of First SF does not change. We exist to lead people to love and live for Jesus. That does not change. It is a partnership for that effort. I believe, I truly believe that the greatest days of First Baptist Church are still in front of us. They're still ahead of us. I think about the kids and youth in our ministry. Just real quick, if you are a child that is kindergarten through fifth grade, would you guys stand up real quick? Okay? If you're a kid, kindergarten through fifth grade. Okay, you guys stay standing. Now, if you are a teenager, sixth through twelfth grade, keep standing, kids. Now, teenagers, would you join them? You guys can be seated. I want all of you kids and teenagers to know that it has been the privilege of my life to serve as your pastor. Our church exists 
to raise up the next generation to love and live for Jesus. And so how can I be confident of the future? Guys, you just saw him standing up. And these are world changers. I believe that all of us in this room are here because we are made to make a difference for the kingdom of God, starting with the youngest all the way to our senior adults who love Jesus and serve him with all their hearts. We as a church exist to make much of Jesus. And so as we do so, how do we do it? We do it in partnership with one another. I thank God this morning for your partnership in the gospel, First Baptist Church, San Francisco. But then in verse 6, Paul gives us the other thing that makes him so joyful and so confident. And he says this. He says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you want to boil that down, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I give thanks to God for your future. Not only for your partnership in the gospel, for everything you've done, but I give thanks to God for what's to come. And you say, how can Paul be so confident? Right? I mean, Paul's not there on a weekly basis anymore. He's not in Philippi. He's not preaching the service. He's not leading the team. He's not, he's not ministering. How can he so, be so confident about this church that he loves with all of his heart? Well, friends, the answer to that question is very simple. Paul understands with everything that he is that the church of Philippi and the work that's happening there is not his. It's not his work. Paul is confident and he is joyful because when he looks at the church of Philippi, he knows it's a divine work. If, if, the, if the health of the church at Philippi was based on Paul being there, then by God, yes, it would be in trouble. There'd be tons of reason for concern. But what does he say? He says, no, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Our God always, 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 always completes what he starts. Our reason for confidence this morning in the midst of a pastoral transition is this. Jesus is at work, and he doesn't change, and he is always going to complete the work that he's starting. This is give great hope, church. This is great hope for you personally. This means that your salvation is, is dependent not on you, it's on him. That work that he has started when he called you to himself, when you saw your sin and you turned to him in faith, that work he's going to bring completion on the day that you stand before God, the judgment seat, and he says, you are blameless. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. Why? Because you are in my son, Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, our salvation is a work of God alone. I believe that there are some of you in this room today that are here by God's design because you've been asking this question in your own heart, and maybe you can't verbalize it, but the question is this. How can I find meaning and purpose and stability in this broken world? Maybe for some of you, your question is more about eternity. You think about the long run, and you think, how can I be right with God? How can I know that my eternity is secure with Him? Well, a lot of people get frustrated as they search for the answer to that question because they think it's up to them. They think, if I can just scrub myself clean enough, then I can be good enough for God. They think, if I can just do all this checklist of good things, if I can be a good enough person, then I can be acceptable to God. They look and they look for search and search for significance and meaning in all these things in this life. Friend, I believe you're here to hear this simple good news. 
that God has already done everything necessary for your salvation from beginning to end. He knows that we couldn't do it on our own. I mean, you think about it. All of us are sinners. We're broken. Our world is broken. He is holy. We can't fix that. But friends, that is why God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live the perfect sinless life that we could not live. He was the spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice, and he gave his life voluntarily on the cross, taking our place. Do you realize that? Jesus took our place on the cross. He took the punishment for the sin of the world that we deserve upon himself. But he didn't stay dead, did he? He raised from the dead, which means this, in him alone is life. His resurrection was a confirmation that the victory over sin and death was done forever. And today, the incredible news for each one of us is that we will simply turn from our sin and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. We can have abundant life. Abundant life now, eternal life for the future. For nothing would make me happier. If you're here this morning, and that's the questions you're asking, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing would make me happier on my last day as pastor for you to say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to turn from my sin. I want that life that you're talking about. I want Jesus. Nothing would give me greater joy. If that's you this morning, there's a a card in the pew in front of you that says connection card. Would you just write that? I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Put your name. We'd love to get with you in this coming week about that. But for the rest of us in this church, not only is this truth important for us personally, but it's important for the life of this church. Today, I can hand over the pastoral baton to Walter Price, not because, with great confidence, not because I've set things up so well. It's not because we're in such a good financial position as a church. It's not even because I think Walter has incredible giftings, which I'm very thankful for. I can pass the pastoral reins to Walter with great confidence because I know that Jesus is the shepherd of this church. And he always accomplishes what he sets out to do. His purposes will not be thwarted. He will continue to work into this and in this church and through this church and through the life of the body of Christ until he returns. And so today I have incredible confidence and joy because Jesus is the king of this church. It's for this reason that as a pastor, my primary role, my primary goal, and everything that I've tried to do in this as pastor of this church has been not to to say, hey, become more dependent on me. It has been to point you to the person of Jesus Christ. His work alone is what accomplishes our salvation. His work alone is what can sustain us in our hardest days. His work alone is what can be there and give us joy on our best day. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen.